I once heard a statement that Billy Graham had made. In a moment of quiet time, Billy Graham confessed to his family that he felt like he had been a failure. The reason was quite simple. After being seen and heard by millions, he did not see a nation that was any closer to God. You know, statistics say that despite despite all the Christian broadcasting, evangelism, and soul-saving campaigns, there is about an 84 to 97 percent fall-away rate. That is, when they try to go back and find these people who have given their heart to the Lord or raised their hand and accepted Christ in, as their Savior, you know, they, they can't find them in church. They can't find them anywhere. They are totally uh, inactive as a Christian. Now, I'm beginning to wonder, has Christianity, you know, I was driving down the road listening to religion on, on the radio. I came across a preacher, had an excellent voice, you know, I mean, obviously a big mega church. And I don't know what brought this about, but he started talking about, um, I don't know, it was uh, some type of cartoon characters or something like that. And he said, do you want me, to, do you want to hear me talk like Donald Duck? And he began talking like Donald Duck. And I just reached over and cut my radio off. And I said, you know, religion has ceased to be relevant. It's not relevant anymore. You begin to wonder, why does it even exist other than to give people, maybe to give a minister a a decent paying job, an opportunity to make a living or something like that, or to pacify or to maybe allow people to feel like, well, okay, I've done my duty by going to church, but religion has ceased to be relevant. It has failed to bring people to that pivotal point of what must I do? Is That Really in the Bible? presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. There was a question recently asked on a religious forum. It was asked to some of the bigger megachurches. It said, the question was this, what is the proper way to preach the gospel? What is the proper way to preach the gospel? And the answers came back, said, with love and concern for fellow mankind, in all truth and honesty. Another person said, by your actions. Another person came back and said, uh, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, not in telling, but in doing. Another person came back and said, now the question was, what is the proper way to preach the gospel? Another person came back and said, by your life, live it. Another person came back and said, in love. Another person quoted this poem that I actually have in a poem book that my mother gave me. It says, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one would walk with me than merely tell me the way. The eyes are better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. And I'm not going to read that whole entire poem. You're probably familiar with it, but it's a powerful poem. Well, anyway, the person who had asked this question, what is the proper way to preach the gospel, I thought his comments were interesting, and it may reveal what is actually is going on in our society, 
and the reason religion has ceased to be relevant. He came back and said, well, that is what they thought I was talking about. In other words, this is the gentleman who had asked the question, what is the proper way to preach the gospel? And he says, well, that's what they thought I was talking about. He says, I would have had better luck being understood if I'd asked what is the proper way to change a flat tire? Because really, I mean, how do I change a flat tire? With love and concern for my, my fellow man? Or how do I get the tire changed and back on the road again? By letting my light shine or by setting a great example of how I live my life? It seems everyone who read my question totally misunderstood what I was talking about. And it happens more often than it should. I'm really sad and disappointed about it, and I don't really know what to do. I think about our Savior coming to Galilee, preaching the gospel. How did he do that? Was it by living a good life, helping the poor and the needy, supporting the widows and letting his light shine? Or was it by actually preaching and telling and sharing the good news? He goes on to say, he says, the answers I receive from on these sites or on this forum where he'd asked the question makes me wonder if they even know what the gospel is, let alone what the proper way to preach it might be. Now, notice what he said. I mean, I, I thought this was fascinating. He says, the answers I receive, that is, to the question, what is the proper way to preach the gospel, makes me wonder if they even know what the gospel is, let alone what the proper way to preach it might be. Now, I want to give you a disclaimer here before I get into this about why it seems that religion has ceased to be relevant. It's, it, the, the disclaimer is this. Not everyone is called to preach. We understand that. Not everyone is called to evangelize. We all understand that there are different gifts of the Spirit, and God gives different gifts to each individual, and, and they're not all the same. So what I'm saying is not everybody is called to be an evangelist. Not everybody is called to preach. However, having said that, the great commission that we find in Matthew 28 and verse 18, let me read that. And Jesus said and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even unto the end of the world. In other words, that great commission is given to all disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you you know if you're going to church whether you're, I don't know the reason you're going to church. I don't know what's relevant in your life. I don't know if you even consider yourself to be in a, a disciple. But I think any sincere Christian views himself as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so as a disciple, the Great Commission is given to all of us. There's no one excluded from the Great Commission to go ye therefore into the, all the world to teach all nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy, by the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. This is given to all of us. Now, there's an illusion that has existed among Christians for a long time that sort of dominates the Christian thinking. And it is this by living the Christian example, I am preaching the gospel. 
And so Christians have this illusion that, well, I, I, I go out and I get in my car, you know, and I, I'm all dressed up and obviously I'm going to church and my neighbor looks at me and says, ah, there's a Christian. And therefore I am preaching the gospel, the fact that churches are full, you know, maybe every Sunday morning or whatever. Therefore, people look and say, ah, there's Christians, and they're they're preaching the gospel. In other words, this illusion, I think, dominates Christian thinking, and that is, by living the Christian example, I am preaching the gospel. Now, in order to understand this, first we have to ask, what is the end result of preaching the gospel? In other words, we're asking the question, what is the proper way to preach the gospel? And we're dealing with the issue that we see in our society of a world that, well, as Billy Graham had mentioned here, he felt like he had been a failure because, you know, he didn't see the change after preaching and being heard by millions. He hasn't seen the change, you know, in a nation and religion being totally irrelevant. You know, we're we're dealing, okay, but maybe we're missing something. What is the proper way to preach the gospel? Now, if, if Christians cannot agree on this one issue, and that is what is the proper way, we will never preach the gospel. We will never get it. We will never come to the point where as, as a Christian society, we preach the gospel to other people. If we cannot agree on what this, what is the end results of preaching the gospel, will never move forward in this area. Let's take a look at what is the end results of preaching the gospel. In Acts 2 and verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now there it is. That is the end results of preaching the gospel. The end results of preaching the gospel, the response that we must get is, what must I do? This is the response that you want from other people. If the end result is not achieved, it's not preaching the gospel. So if I'm feeding the poor, if I'm letting my light shine, if I'm living the Christian example, but not getting the end results from people, and that is, what must I do? It's really not preaching the gospel. Now, let me clarify something here, because Christians often are involved in good works, and they should be, like helping the poor. Now, obviously, if you're just giving money to poor people, you're not preaching the gospel. However, if you're helping that person who is poor to get off his backside and come to a point where he says, what am I going to do about my poverty? Am I going to spend the rest of my life walking through parking lots begging for a $5 bill from people? Am am I going to be 80 years old still doing that? If you help the person come to this pivotal point of, okay, what am I going to do about my poverty? Am I going to get off my backside and do something? Am, Am I going to get off my backside and get a job? You see, the responsibility must always fall back on the individual you're trying to help. That's what preaching the gospel is all about, personal responsibility for one's sins. Yes, sin. Sin is the breaking of God's law, 1 John 3, 4. And so you help people deal with this issue, what am I going to do about my sin? And it goes beyond just, okay, I'm going to accept accept Christ as my personal Savior. It goes beyond that. 
are you going to allow, you know, the power of God's Holy Spirit to change you so that you're no longer living that kind of a lifestyle that is bringing you down and causing you to self-destruct, you see? Now, I think what we have is what I would call a caretaker salvation. Let me read this to you, and you can figure out if you're if you fall into this category of being a caretaker, and instead of offering people true salvation, you're just doing for them what they should be doing for themselves. Number one, do you often find yourself accepting too much responsibility for other people? Number two, do you often feel responsible for other people's feelings, thoughts, actions, or needs? Three, do you sometimes feel compelled to help another person solve a problem, giving a series of suggestions, often offering solutions, especially offering advice you have not been asked for? Do you often find yourself doing things you don't really want to do because somebody else thinks you should? Do you have a hard time saying no when you really should? Do you often do more than your share of the work? Number seven, do you often do things for other people that they really should be doing for themselves? Eight, do you have difficulties accepting gifts? Do you feel insecure and guilty when someone gives to you? Nine, do you feel more comfortable giving? Ten, do you often feel like you spend your whole life giving while no one ever gives to you? Eleven, do you see the conflict between eight, nine, and ten? Twelve, do you feel especially alive when you have a crisis in your life, a problem to solve, or someone to help? And thirteen, do you commonly overcommit yourself? You see, if you are a caretaker, that person that you think you are helping, and often we think this is the Christian thing to do. You know, they, they think that the caretaker role is, this is what Jesus would do. Well, let me assure you, Jesus was not a caretaker. He made people accept personal responsibility for their actions. And he was anything but a caretaker. Now, you may be a caretaker, and you may think it's Christian, but it's not. You see, if you are a caretaker, that person that you think you are helping is not learning personal responsibility. Why? Because you've taken it away from him. You've accepted his personal responsibility. So this is what I mean by caretaker role. So what I see in today's society is what I would call a caretaker salvation that's being where Christians do for others instead of allowing them to do for themselves. And the person that you're trying to help never comes to that point of, okay, what must I do? What shall we do? That is the end results of preaching the gospel. What shall I do? So today we have salvation without anyone accepting personal responsibility for their sins. You know, I one time wrote letters to mega churches asking them, what do I got to do to be saved? And I, I got the idea from reading through the Bible where the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, good master, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus' response was, hey, if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. And then he starts listing the Ten Commandments. So there's no misunderstanding of what Jesus is saying here. 
if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. And I, I started thinking, how many ministries would tell me the same thing? And so I wrote letters to mega churches. you know, what do I got to do to be saved? Most of the answers were based around this, this simplicity of what I'm going to tell you here. This mega church came back, and I, if I told you who it was, you would recognize this mega church. But basically, they came back and said, you know, your part is real simple when it comes to salvation. All you got to do is believe and receive. Now, that was their answer. That was their million-dollar answer. Jesus said, if you enter into life, keep the commandments. This ministry came back. Your part's real simple. Just believe and receive. And I, as I read the letter, I thought, well, how hard would it have been to put in there, you know, as God's children, he expects us to repent of our sins, and sin is the breaking of God's law. He, he probably expects us to obey him. I mean, how hard would that have been for this ministry to put in that letter, you know, it's probably a good idea to obey God, but nothing. There was nothing in that letter about obedience. There was nothing in that letter about repentance. There was nothing in that letter about turning from one's sins, accepting responsibility for your actions. No, nothing. Your part's real simple. Believe and receive. Now, I think it's obvious to any thinking Christian out there, what you're hearing today is not the gospel. What you're hearing today is not the gospel because we have eluded ourselves we have deceived ourselves into thinking well i'm i'm living a christian example and therefore i am preaching the gospel again the end results of preaching the gospel the response we must get from people is what shall i do you know, for so long, for too long, we have been told there's nothing you must do. We've, we've heard this from preachers, from, from the main message of mainstream Christianity, the mainstream churchianity. We've been told there's nothing you must do. Grace plus nothing. The law's been abolished. So if there is no law, I mean, there's nothing you need to repent of, and you had not done anything wrong anyway. So there's, you know, if there is no law, you, know, you don't have to worry about anything. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. For too long, we've heard, just believe, just invite Jesus into your heart. And basically, the what must I do is, well, just sort of raise your hand. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Now, if you accept Jesus into your heart, raise your hand. That's basically all you got to do. That is, you know, what must I do? Okay, I'm going to raise my hand and invite Jesus into my heart. And presto, change I'm saved. I mean, think about it. Is there no responsibility that God expects from us? Is there nothing that God wants from us? Is there no commitment? Is there nothing? You know, I once heard a statement that said, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Now, I want to tell you something. In our evil, rotten, hell-bent on socialism world that we're headed toward, you have to identify the spirit of the age. In order, to, in order to understand how to preach the gospel, you've got to understand, okay, what is the spirit of our age? Truth of the matter is, people are so cynical toward religion today is that they don't even care about your example. And they probably look at you like a bunch of nuts, a bunch of religious nuts going to church. They don't even care about your example today. So in order to preach the gospel, you got you cannot not use words 
and preach the gospel. You know, put that in your pipe and smoke it. You, you, you can't, okay, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. In today's society, you're going to have to use words. Notice Ezekiel 2 and verse 7. And you shall, hear, you shall speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a most, they are most rebellious. Yeah, when, you're, when the spirit of the age is this, that people are in a state of rebellion, you've got to speak the word to them. That's what God says. And here's the, here's the critical point I want to get across here. When you do this, it's not about numbers. It's not about building churches. It's not even about responses. You see, basically, churches, we're just playing church. As I look across the landscape, as I look at a minister on radio talking like Donald Duck, religion has ceased to be relevant. There comes a point where, where God says, I want you to speak my word. And I don't want you to get the illusion that I'm talking about you building a mega church. It's not about building a church. It's not about numbers. It's not about responses. It's not even about, you know, it, it's, it's so they have heard the word must go out. My word shall not return unto me void, your Bible says. And, you know, Jesus speaks about the same subject. In Matthew 24 and verse 14, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. In other words, this gospel of the kingdom, the government of God on this earth, the soon coming kingdom or government of God on this earth, it has to be preached as a witness. Now, this is interesting wording. It doesn't say it's preached to save them. It doesn't say it's preached to build a mega church. It doesn't say it's preached to get all kinds of people coming down to the altar. No, it says as a witness. In other words, the word has to be heard so that people are without excuse. Let's look at some examples in Jesus' ministry of what, of him bringing people to a point of what must I do. I'm just going to skip through this. This one's found in John 8 and verse 11, and you know the story about the woman and the man caught in the act of adultery. Yes, we must include the man. It takes two to do this. And Jesus said, does, does any man condemn thee? And she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, if Jesus had stopped at neither do I condemn thee, it would not have been preaching the gospel, you see. But he didn't stop at neither do I condemn thee. Okay, what must I do? The woman is thinking, okay, what must I do? Now that I've had been graciously forgiven, Jesus' answer is go and sin no more. Well, what else would you expect after being forgiven? To live, to continue to live in sin? No. Go and sin no more. What must I do? Then you have the story in Luke 15 and verse 7. He says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now think about this. What is the difference between the ninety-nine and the one? Well, the ninety-nine failed to ask, what must I do? Yeah, I guess they just thought, you know, well, I just, I'll just accept God's grace and that's it. But they didn't ask the question, what must I do? 
have another story in Mark 3 and verse 32. And the multitude set about him, round about Jesus, that is. And they said unto him, Behold, your mother and your brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, and saying, Well, who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which set about him, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother my, as, and my sister and my mother. Notice, for whosoever shall do the will of God. What shall I do? And then you have the story of the lost son. Luke 15 and verse 17. Here's the original rebel rouser, you know. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough to, to eat, and I'm perished with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. You see, this young man's, his what must I do, had a plan of action. He said, look, I'm going to return to my father. I, I'm going to tell my father, look, I've sinned against you. I am not worthy. Make me as one of your hired servants. Yeah, his what must I do had a plan of action. And I know, you know, we always focus on the, the generosity, the grace of the father. You know, he unconditionally forgives the son and invites him back. But, you know, we don't touch on the son's attitude and we should touch on his attitude because his attitude was what must i do he had a plan of action his attitude was not well i'm going to go back to my father's house and i'm going to raise my hand and i'm going to invite my father into my heart and i you know here i am father uh, tomorrow i'm leaving and i'm going to return back to the prostitutes but uh, i'm here for today and i need your grace and i need forgiveness no that was not his his response his response was he considered his foolishness he considered his stupidity he came to his senses and basically said i am a fool and i'm going to return to my father and i'm going to beg for his forgiveness and not only that you know, I'm going to confess my sins. I'm going to say I'm not worthy. And I'm willing just to be as one of your servants. I'm willing to serve you, Lord. Yeah, what must I do? There came a moment when Jesus knew the question was a simple one. What must I do? Matthew 26 and verse 38, he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and, and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he comes unto his disciples and finds them asleep and said to Peter, Peter, could, could, could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. 
And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, what must I do? And eventually the answer became crystal clear. I must give up my will in order to do God's will. And you know, that is a hard sell. That is, you know, people want religion. They want church going. They want to be entertained by their minister. They want to look religious. They want to dress up. But I tell you, the gospel is a hard sell. The gospel is, what must I do? And the answer to that question is, I must give up my will in order to do God's will. It's no different for us than the example that we have of our Savior. The end results of preaching the gospel, the response we must get is, from people is, what shall I do? If the end result is not achieved, it's not preaching the gospel. Now, I can't tell you how to do this. You know, I mean, we're all, we all have different gifts. There is a way to do this. There is a way to ask the right questions. There is a way to get people to think for themselves and to, to accept personal responsibility. And one of the ways you get people to accept personal responsibility for their action is you, you don't become a caretaker. You know, instead of, of the caretaker role, which I think we have convinced ourselves is very Christian, when I do for you instead of allowing you to do for yourself, I teach, instead of doing that, instead of diving into the caretaker role, I teach you how to take personal responsibility. The responsibility must always fall back on the person you're trying to help. And so regardless of what their circumstances is, you know, you, you help that person take personal responsibility for their actions. And by doing so, you are leading them. You are indeed preaching the gospel when you do that, because that's what the gospel really is all about. It goes a little bit beyond just inviting Jesus into your heart and accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It really is, you know, beyond that, it is accepting personal responsibility for your actions and for your sins and to have a determination that comes through the gift of the Holy Spirit that you receive at baptism not to repeat the same old stupid mistakes, accepting personal responsibility for your actions. Now, if you do this, if you help people come to this point of what must I do, there is a warning in John 8 and verse 40, Jesus said these words. He said, but now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth. Why did they want to kill Jesus? Because he told them the truth. And I'm telling you, I don't care what kind of issue you're dealing with with other people. If you help that person come to this point, if you speak the truth and you help that person come to this point of what must I do, there is a high probability that you're going to be hated. Why would I say that? Well, I mean, just think about it. If you, if you help this, you know, bum on the street and you start insinuating, look, you need to get yourself cleaned up. You need to get a job. You know, yeah, that's not what he's looking for. He's not looking for truth. I can guarantee you that little guy got, you know, the guy got the sign. We'll work for food. 
they're not looking for truth. They're looking for a handout. You know, if you speak the truth, leave town quickly, someone said. Abraham Lincoln said, silence makes cowards out of the best of men. Silence makes cowards out of the best of men. Are we nothing more than cowards? Too cowardly to preach the gospel? To tell people the truth? To lead people to that point of what must I do? Are we nothing more than cowards? Well, maybe so. Maybe so. So may God give us the courage to speak, to preach the gospel effectively, and to lead people to that ultimate question, what I call the pivotal turning point. What must I do? For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net.